Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 23rd day of January 2024. This is episode 845 of Bitcoin. And we got a lot. We got a lot to cover today. We really, really do have a lot to cover today. But first, I'm opening up the Circle P. Got to do it, bros. I got to do it. And as soon as I can find my ad copy, there we go. The Circle P is my way of bringing plebs to other plebs, specifically bringing the goods and services that plebs may have to offer for sale for Bitcoin to other plebs. You'll never find anybody in the Circle P that doesn't accept Bitcoin for their goods and services. And today we have Good Beans Coffee out of El Salvador. So Java junkies and Bitcoiners unite, introducing Good Beans. The Salvadoran coffee so good your taste buds will think they've hit the jackpot. Our beans are not just specialty grade, they're brutacularly fresh and roasted in small batches for that perfect cup. And guess what? You can pay with Bitcoin. That's right. Get your caffeine kick in the most 21st century way possible. Good beans, where every sip is a digital delight and a fiesta in your mouth. Ay caramba. That's thegoodbeans.com. You can go get their coffee and pay for it, I believe, with Lightning as well as Main Chain Bitcoin. It may just be just Lightning, though, uh, which would be which would be good because I, I really enjoy using Lightning. But thegoodbeans.com, that is thegoodbeans, all one word, dot com. You can find them on Noster at goodbeanscoffee, and you can find them on Twitter at good beans the all one word yeah, well you know there's there's only so much you can do with these with these handles and shit like that so uh just go make sure that you tell them that you heard them off at the circle p from the bitcoin and podcast and you never know maybe they'll give me a cut of the sale that's the way this whole thing is supposed to work in the first place all right where are we at here hold on i got to do something here all right now just when you thought the bullshit was over from yesterday, no, no, and no. <laughs> Bitcoin rides a fresh new $600 million GBTC offload with the BTC price eyeing a two-month load. Hey, let's just get the bad news out of the way first from Cointelegraph, written by William Suberg. Well, Bitcoin hit its lowest levels since the start of December after the January 23rd Wall Street opened as anger grew over market selling. Yeah, because nobody likes the lettuce hands. Data from Cointelegraph, Markets Pro, and TradingView followed BTC price action as it slumped to $38,505 on Bitstamp, pausing to say the following... <clears throat> there were not one, not two, but at least three separate analysts that were calling for 38.5. 38.5. And looks like we hit that. Will it go lower? Oh, shit, I don't know. But whatever. Barely recovered at the time of writing, Bitcoin faced a now familiar cocktail of institutional sell-offs and low demand to retrace nearly the last two solid months of gains. Attention focused on the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, a vehicle still holding more than $20 billion in assets under management despite billions of dollars of Bitcoin offloaded this month. January the 23rd, today, saw approximately another lot of 15,200 BTC worth $590 million transferred from known GBTC holdings 
to the custodian Coinbase per data from crypto intelligence firm Arkham. This was slightly less than the day prior, but with final figures not yet confirmed, commenters remain skeptical. Quote, Decrease from yesterday at the very least, popular trader Dan Crypto Trades wrote in part of a reaction on Twitter. Quote, Yesterday's net flows on all ETFs were slightly negative, so the other ETFs are doing a decent job absorbing still, end quote. Dan Crypto Trades referenced the performance of the United States new spot Bitcoin exchange traded funds inflows to which we're going some way to counteract all these GBTC exits. Others blamed not GBTC operator Grayscale, but forced liquidations, as well as offloading by defunct exchange FTX, which prior to its own demise had considerable GBTC holdings. Quote, Recall selling GBTC for BTC does not push Bitcoin price down. Selling for USD and keeping it in USD does, Adam Back, CEO of Bitcoin technology firm Blockstream, explained. Quote, People, hold on, I got some weird text things going on on my browser here. People doing USD selling are forced liquidations, bankruptcy sales like FTX. So I'm not sure if there's much USD net selling left post FTX $1 billion bankruptcy sale, end quote. On the topic of spot liquidations, BTC Longs faced another long day of pain. Total longs wiped out during the two days through January the 23rd, stood at 110 million at the time of writing, according to latest data statistics resource CoinGlass. Optimists thus chose to take a longer-term view, arguing that current downside sources would not be able to keep up pressure on the market indefinitely. Eric Balchunas a dedicated ETF analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, meanwhile, saw reason to celebrate Bitcoin's 2023 performance. In the past 12 months, it has offered 75% returns, vastly outperforming popular investments such as stocks. Quote, How spoiled can you be that you're living in angst right now? You will be in permanent state of misery if you don't get some perspective, he wrote on Twitter as a comment. All right, so the pain continues, and I am honestly very, very surprised that the liquidated longs off of the global markets for BTC were only $110 million. I find that surprising, and I also find that kind of good news, because maybe, just maybe, at least in the short term, people are just not really all that willing to go leverage long against BTC. You shouldn't go leverage. You shouldn't be shorting. You shouldn't be longing. You shouldn't be doing anything. Just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. That's the easiest way to get through all this crap because you don't have to worry about technical analysis and chartalist and autist coming at you from every way, shape, and form telling you to sell or buy or would just buy it. That's it. That's it. Just DCA. You'll be you'll be fine. You got to have patience though, because this shit ain't over. It's just not over yet. So just be aware, all right? And we'll all be okay. And why is it not over yet? Well, it just so happened, word hit the street about six hours ago that Mt. Gox has confirmed creditors' Bitcoin addresses for repayment. Helen Parts, Cointelegraph.com. Now, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this, Mt. Gox is actually going to be able to transfer BTC directly from Mt. Gox Holdings, or, well, the bankruptcy holdings, to the creditor's Bitcoin wallet address, which means that they don't have to sell for USD. That doesn't mean that there won't be selling. I'm just saying that it's not a foregone conclusion that the BTC that is going to be transferred by Mt. Gox guys will have to be sold for USD first before it's transferred. That's not the way this actually has to work. You can opt for that if you're a Mt. Gox creditor, but you don't have to. You can take possession of the BTC directly, which is completely unlike how anybody gets out of these new spot Bitcoin ETF vehicles. Now, after launching bank repayments in December of 2023, 
The Mt. Gox trustee is getting ready to start repayments of BTC and, God forbid, Bitcoin Cash on Bitstamp and Kraken accounts. The trustee of the hacked cryptocurrency exchange Mt. Gox is inching towards Bitcoin repayments as it reportedly reached out to creditors to confirm their identities and the existence of their accounts. Numerous Mt. Gox creditors reported receiving brand spanking fresh new emails from Mt. Gox about the completion of identity verifications for crypto exchange accounts that are set to be used to repay Bitcoin and, yeah, shitcoin number one. Uh, One such email posted on Mt. Gox Insolvency Hub on Reddit on January the 22nd says that a crypto exchange mentioned in the user's rehabilitation claim has confirmed the account ownership with the trustee. The email says the exchange is now expected to accept the user's subscription to the agency receipt to receive repayments in BTC. Quote, please note that you may not be able to receive repayment in BTC if your account is disabled or frozen in the future, a rough translation of the email stated. Rough translation because it's Japanese, so just be aware. Several Reddit posters have confirmed receiving such an email from the Mt. Gox trustee, with most confirmations coming from Bitstamp Exchange. A few Kraken users have also said that they've received the confirmation email, while the majority of Kraken users reported not receiving the email yet. Some of the exchanges participating in the repayments have alerted their users that they will keep servicing Mt. Gox-related customers in certain countries despite leaving those jurisdictions. Bitstamp, which shut down operations in Canada on January the 4th of this year, will keep servicing local accounts involved in the Mt. Gox settlement, according to one email seen by Cointelegraph, quote, We've decided to keep these specific accounts open until all due funds from Mt. Gox are completely refunded to you. Quote, Please note that your account is currently limited to only withdraw functions. All other services, including deposits and trading, are no longer available. The new Mt. Gox emails are coming amid the trustee moving forward with the bank account repayments. The first Mt. Gox repayment report surfaced in late December of last year, with some creditors receiving double payments. Founded in 2010, Mt. Gox was one of the biggest Bitcoin exchanges in the world, estimated to facilitate around 70% of all BTC transactions before it imploded. The exchange lost 800 and 50,000 BTC in a security breach in 2014, becoming one of the biggest crypto bankruptcies ever. Mt. Gox is expected to repay its creditors 142,000 Bitcoin and 143,000 in the fort cryptocurrency Bcash, in addition to 69 billion Japanese yen by October 2024. So this is going to be a rather long payout, but they are going to pay out. So now... The forced hodlers that were the Mt. Gox creditors are going to receive their Bitcoin. What are they going to do? Well, when Mt. Gox imploded, (laughs) uh, the price of Bitcoin wasn't anywhere close to where it is now. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere close. Because that was back in 2014, right? We are multiple thousands of dollars per coin more in price now than we were back then. The guys that had all their Bitcoin in there, and yes, they've lost some because they were never able to recover all of the funds. In fact, they were never able to recover most of the funds. But be that as it may, it may very well be probable that the creditors, when they receive their Bitcoin, may not actually just immediately rip and tear and go sell that shit on the open market. Because they've seen, they were forced to see what Bitcoin can actually do if you will leave it alone. So again, it's a wait and see situation, but I'm not certain if I would automatically just assume that every single creditor of Mt. Gox is immediately going to sell on the open market. And maybe they'll go to school and learn more about Bitcoin, or maybe they've already done done so. But, you know... Schooling is is important, and somebody else thinks that Bitcoin education is important too, and that name is Cornell. That's right, Cornell University is one of the Ivy League colleges in the United States. This is out of Bitcoin Magazine, written by Nick Hoffman. 
Cornell University's College Scholar Program approves the first Bitcoin-focused degree. This is a full degree. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this one. Cornell University's College of Arts and Sciences College Scholar Program has officially approved the first independent Bitcoin-focused study on January the 11th. The pioneer behind this academic milestone is Ella Hugh, a student at Cornell University who is set to embark on a unique academic journey that is centered around Bitcoin. Quote, The past 15 months have been long, but incredibly worthwhile road to approval, Hugh told Bitcoin Magazine. I continue to believe that spending my time and energy studying Bitcoin is the most worthwhile academic endeavor. I'm particularly grateful to study it inside the College of Arts and Sciences and at Cornell, whose founders championed ideals Bitcoin embodies, warning of the dangers of fiat money inflation and supporting the development of rails to transfer knowledge based in monetary wealth. End quote. Ella's major will encompass a diverse range of subjects, including cognitive science, psychology, philosophy, information science, government economics, anthropology, and history. This interdisciplinary approach reflects the multifaceted nature of Bitcoin, exploring its cognitive and game theoretical components, as well as its implications for adoption and societal structures. Quote, when asked, what is my college scholar major? My response would be Bitcoin, she further explained. The cognitive and game theoretical components related to Bitcoin adoption and the implications of Bitcoin to emphasize why it matters, end quote. As part of the College Scholar Program requirements, Ella will undertake the task of writing and presenting an honors thesis with an oral defense in May 2025. While her thesis is set to adapt and evolve in accordance to new information over time, she anticipates the core focus of her thesis will center around the worldwide adoption and revolutionary implications of Bitcoin, the network, and asset. Her final thesis will be displayed at the university in Clarman Hall and will be kept on permanent library of the program, she told Bitcoin Magazine. Yeah, well, that's just the way this works. I've got a few things to say about this at the end. One distinctive feature of Ella's new academic journey is her ability to choose the title that will appear on her diploma and transcript. Pending approval from the director of the program, Bitcoin will prominently feature in her official credentials symbolizing her dedication to exploring the significance of this decentralized technology. Ella's commitment to studying Bitcoin further extends beyond academia. She has taken the initiative to establish Cornell's first official Bitcoin club. The club will join Generation Bitcoin's Bitcoin Students Network, a Gen Z-focused community built to support and inspire college and high school-aged students to get involved with Bitcoin. There's a humanitarian imperative affecting generations, present and future, to study all aspects of Bitcoin and for students to be validated in their efforts. My hope is that this precedent encourages, empowers, and eases the journey for other students to think outside of our current systems and build a more inclusive, truthful, and honest world. Cornell University's approval of Ella Hughes' Bitcoin-focused degree marks a significant step towards recognizing the relevance and importance of Bitcoin within traditional academic institutions. As Bitcoin continues to shape the global financial landscape, Ella's pioneering work to officially further her understanding of Bitcoin at a prestigious university opens doors for further exploration and understanding of this burgeoning technology. All right, so here's the thing that Nick Hoffman has has not said. And it's okay. It, it the the vagaries of the ivory tower that is academia are well vague. I let's let's be honest about it. And unless you're like me and kind of knee deep into seeing how the sausage is made behind the scenes at universities, um, then it becomes kind of not evident what we just read actually means. What is not happening? is Cornell has not designed a degree program and has listed it in their catalog of majors. Like, you can get a Bachelor of Science here and you can get a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry at Cornell University. And then in the catalog, the student catalog, which is you know all kind of the student handbook thing, um, you, can, you can flip to the page of Bachelors of Science in Chemistry at Cornell University and it will show you exactly what classes you have to take and what semesters you have to take them. 
And when you go, you know, to your advisor and say, I want to go into chemistry, they, they open that thing and then they fill out your card and then they, you get registered for those classes in the first semester of your freshman year. Now you are on track to officially get a bachelor of science in chemistry at Cornell university. This degree that Ella Hugh is taking is not that it's not in the handbook. It's not in the catalog. It's not an official degree program. What this looks like to me is she is taking a master's degree that she's graduated with her back with her, with her bachelor's degree and whatever that was. When I got my master's degree, I was able to name it. And that was at Texas Tech University. You know, it was also a tier one research university, but it wasn't Cornell. You know, it wasn't like I went to Harvard, which has its own problems going on lately. We won't get into, but this is Cornell, right? But they themselves have that same, it's it's a United States institution. You can name your master's thesis if you have if you're taking interdisciplinary, which means that you're taking a lot of stuff from a bunch of different places, you're, what you're really getting is a master's of arts or a master's of science in interdisciplinary studies. And that is in the catalog. You work with your master's advisor to fashion what that looks like. And they are going to allow her to name it Bitcoin or studies in Bitcoin. All right, so this isn't groundbreaking, but it is what it does show is that there are students that are like, I've got to do this. And what's really, really nice is how she fashioned it. And let me see if I can get to where she said uh, what she said she was going to be taking. Hold on for a second. I got to look for it. Okay, here it is. This, this girl's got her shit going on. Because all this interdisciplinary studies master's degree, which will be named studies in Bitcoin or whatever, will include cognitive science, psychology, philosophy, information science, government, economics, anthropology, and history. She's a Bitcoiner. She understands that Bitcoin in and of itself is an interdisciplinary situation. There's no such thing that could ever happen that would be a degree in Bitcoin. You can get a degree in network analysis and study Bitcoin. You can get a degree in information science or computer science. You can program Bitcoin. You you can work on the network of Bitcoin. You, You can do all that kind of stuff, but that's not Bitcoin because Bitcoin reaches out into all these things, the psychology and the philosophy and government and economics and the history of humanity, which is anthropology and general history, along with cognitive science. How do we think about this shit? Yet she, she's got her shit going on. Definitely not going to be worried about her, but this is not a formalized degree at the level of Cornell. So just understand that. All right. Uh, Let's see what's going on here with Kid Warp. Uh, LFG. Yep, that's right. Yeah, Mount Gox payouts. That's 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 happening, kid. I I I, I understand that. Uh, what else we got down here? Okay, just wanted to make sure that the people that show up in the chat get mentioned on the show because that's sort of the way you build community around these parts. Now, Bitcoin adoption in Pakistan. We're going to go across the world. Continues to rise without regulatory clarity. Thank God, but I'm sure the regulations are coming. Farouk Ahmed, Bitcoin Magazine. Pakistan is one of the emerging markets in Southeast Asia with a population of 250 million people and a country where the majority of the population lives below the poverty line. People of Pakistan are hopeful. Many believe that good times are coming and that the country's future is bright amid political chaos and a tumbling financial situation for 2023. However, the overall situation seems to be getting on track with the Karachi Stock Exchange reaching its historical all-time highs. Bitcoin Pakistan, a community of like-minded technology and Bitcoin enthusiasts in Pakistan, organized its first physical networking event in Lahore last month in November. 
the interest, that's not last month, dude. That was a few months ago. <laughs> the interest in understanding Bitcoin as an inflation hedge tool and global payments network is increasing. However, the people in Pakistan are also afraid of the legality of cryptocurrencies. Many seem reluctant to talk publicly about it, fearing consequences from the authorities. There is a common misunderstanding that Bitcoin is banned or illegal in Pakistan. The Central Bank of Nigeria imposed a similar ban on cryptocurrency transactions through banks in 2021. However, after witnessing the increased demand for Bitcoin and its usage in the country, the Central Bank of Nigeria lifted the ban in its latest circular providing clear instructions. The Central Bank of Nigeria stated, quote, however, current trends globally have shown that there is a need to regulate the activities of virtual asset service providers, which includes cryptocurrencies and crypto assets, end quote. In contrast, the State Bank of Pakistan, through its circular issued in 2018, cautioned the public that cryptocurrencies are not legal tender, they're not issued, or guaranteed by the government of Pakistan. Moreover, the SBP clarified that it does not authorize or license any individual or entity for the issuance, sale, purchase, exchange, or investment in any such virtual currency, coins, or tokens in Pakistan. Therefore, all regulated entities were advised to refrain from processing, using, trading, holding, transferring value, promoting, and investing in virtual currencies and or tokens. Bitcoin adoption, on the other hand, has increased significantly in Pakistan, even though there's no regulated exchange in the region. People use peer-to-peer services like Binance, Paxful, and other OTC trade methods to acquire Bitcoin in Pakistan. The number may not be precise, but it seems Pakistan is ranking among the top countries in world, sorry, top countries in Bitcoin adoption rate in emerging markets in the developing world. That's sort of a bad sentence. Pakistan's rapid adoption of Bitcoin can also be explained when we look at the yearly inflation, which is exceeding 25% and has been worsening for the past few years amid political chaos and pressures from the International Monetary Fund, of course. The freelancing industry is thriving, and Pakistan is one of the top countries exporting IT services. The freelancers' community has shifted towards storing a major portion of their wealth in foreign currencies such as USD or the Great British Pound, and the number of freelancers holding Bitcoin or USDT as an inflation hedge has increased significantly since the COVID crisis. Bitcoin is a revolution that cannot be stopped. Many other nations have realized it and are working to make regulations to keep up with the innovation in the digital world. With friendly regulations from the government and a strict crackdown on crypto frauds in Pakistan, doors can open for new opportunities and attract attract huge investments that can help lift Pakistan out of its debt crisis. Well, if they'd stop lobbing bombs over in India and India would stop lobbing bombs over at Pakistan, maybe we'd get this little red wagon worked out. But until that time, I don't care what money's being used. You basically got a a state of war between Pakistan and India that has lasted for decades. They're fighting over the region of Kashmir, and they have been for, well, decades. In either event, oh, Kid Warp asked uh, what was actually studied doesn't say in the article. It 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 literally doesn't say. I would like to actually see how Elihu has designed this particular degree program in a lot more detail. I kind of hope somebody can reach out to her. Maybe if I I don't know if I can get a hold of her or not. I don't see any contact information, but I'd like to get a hold of her and and actually ask what the hell that whole degree program looks like how she's got it struck, structured and whatnot and how it all fits with, with Bitcoin. But, you know, they're not going to release her contact information because that's a violation of what's called FERPA, and we won't get into that. But again, it's another another nuance of academia, and it just is what it is. Now, let's see what this one tells us. Oh, just so you know, the SEC has said that the fake Bitcoin ETF announcement was caused by a swim, a swim, a sim swap attack. Stephen Graves, uh, we'll read a little bit out of it from uh, Decrypt. In a statement, the SEC provided details of how its SEC Gov Twitter account was compromised, throwing the crypto market into turmoil as it posted a fake announcement 
that the long-awaited spot Bitcoin ETFs have been given the green light. After consulting with its telecom carrier, the securities regulator determined that the unauthorized party obtained control of the SEC cell phone number associated with an account in an apparent SIM swap attack the regulator revealed. Quote, once in control of the phone number, the unauthorized party reset the password for the at SECGov account. End quote. The regulator noted that it is continuing to coordinate with several law enforcement and federal oversight entities in the ongoing investigation, which aims to discover just how the unauthorized party was able to get the SEC's phone carrier to change the SIM for the account and how they knew which phone number was associated with said account. So there's more to it than that, but we don't really need to get into it because it, it just goes on into something, honestly, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in relation to the story. But the meat of this one is what? The SEC cannot figure out how to secure a phone number. A phone number. They, they didn't have 2FA turned on. So the SIM swap was definitely more able to be taken advantage of than if it had been turned on. They were warned to turn it on. Everybody under the sun has told everybody on everything to in, to activate 2FA. Hell, Twitter themselves said, you're safer if you activate 2FA. Please do it. Please do it. They've been doing that since before Elon took control of the company. And yet here we are with the SEC Gov basically who tells everybody in the world how they're going to act financially because it's for your safety, cannot actually safely secure their own telephone number associated with a major media outlet source. Just, I mean, I'm just saying, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities got oil down 0.68%. West Texas Intermediate is trading at $74.25 a barrel. Brent North Sea is down 0.85%, $79.36 a barrel. Natural gas is off of its butt by 1.41% to the downside. And gasoline is down 1.5, back down to $2.20 a gallon. Gold is up 0.11%. Silver is up 062 Platinum is up 0.18. Copper is up eh, three quarters of a point. Palladium is up just under a half. Agricultural futures are mostly in the green. Biggest winner today is going to be lumber. 2.09% to the upside. Biggest loser is rough rice down a third. Live cattle is up a half. Lean hogs are up damn near three points. And feeder cattle are up just under a full point. The Dow is down half a point. S&P is unchanged. NASDAQ is up scant. And the S&P mini is down two-thirds of a point. Bonds, well, they're mostly in the green. Uh, It looks like we've got gains on all the heavy hitters that represent holdings for banks and other institutions around the world. The 10-year is up by five basis points. Uh, it's yielding 4.15%. 20-year is yielding 4.5%. And the 30-year is yielding 4.38%. The dollar index has risen yet again. We are back up to 103.73. That is the ICE US dollar index. Bitcoin is trading at 39481 bucks. We've got an average transaction value of woo, 1.12 BTC. And a median transaction value of $40, which means ordinals are back in play. Block times are low, 9 minutes, 4 seconds. Uh, Half a Bitcoin taken in fees on a per block basis and 85.73 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours in fees. With a 7.5% rise in hash rate, we are back up to, what, 557.8 exahashes per second. Dogecoin has lost its grip on reality. It is back down to 7.8 United States pennies, which means that the entirety of the quote-unquote crypto market is following Bitcoin's lead because Bitcoin is always the leader. And anybody who doesn't understand that yet is continuously getting wrecked and wrecked and wrecked again. Market cap is $774.4 billion. 
That is 5.62% of gold's market cap, and you can purchase 19.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,606,199 and a quarter of, and 4,838 and a third of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $191 million even. 14,635 Lightning Network nodes that we know about, 59,175 Lightning Network payment channels that we can see, and 80.1% of all of it's being run over Tor. Mempools looking at 532 blocks carrying, ooh, what, 261,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. High priority transaction fees are 38 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priorities are 36. And anything under 22.2 Satoshis per V-byte being purged from mempools around the world. Mempool.space forward slash mining is flashing a hash rate of 550 exahashes per second. I have popped back into the top 10 of the fountain charts. Thank you for everybody who has helped. And that includes BTC Brandon, oh, sorry, BTC Brandon Chai. I guess he's from Chi-Town, which I've recently learned meant Chicago. 4,500 sats. Thank you, bro. Says, thanks for the grayscale breakdown. No, that's not a problem, dude. I I hope it was uh, helpful. Axelrod with 451 says, good show. Level-headed and consistent. No, thank you. No, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, whatever. Pies with 420. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. God's Death with 370 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. That nut token. Is still waiting to be claimed, by the way. Oh, shit. Okay, God's death. Hold on. Just hold on. Let me finish the show up. Joseph Joey Joe with 250. The future is bright. What a gift. Satoshi Tico, 100 sats. Pura Vida Amigo Feliz Cumpliano Zap. Thank you. I appreciate that. Nuster Gang with 100 sats says, Gay Scale. (laughs) User 75. There's a lot of numbers here. I'm not going to read them all. 100 sats. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. And please get a username that is human readable. Please do that. You know, if you're just going to be one and done, I get it. But if you're going to hang around on Fountain App for a while or something like that, please get a human readable name so that I can read your name on the air. And before, usually I, I we end this segment, but I wanted to make sure that you guys knew and this is especially for the people that were not listening to the Zap stream when I'm playing music off of Wavelake um, before I begin the show. If you're listening to audio only on Fountain App, you're not getting like the first 15 minutes of the show because I just play, I just allow Wavelake's web app to just fly, and you can zap, you know, you can zap the artist. But uh, man, like Quex was all over the top 10. He was all over the top 10. And a couple of days ago, and I don't have the note handy. Um, oh no, actually I, holy shit. I do have the, I just happened to have the note handy. That's not a joke. I, I was looking for it earlier and I just, I have it. I wasn't able to find it, but somehow or another, it's now in my feed on Noster. Uh, primal.net is what I'm using for the desktop. Man like Quex is good, great artist. He's all, he would, like I said, he's all over the top 10. Here's what he says. So my one week earnings from one song has eclipsed my four month streaming revenue for over 20 different songs. Wavelake changed my life. Thank you. Lightning store and radio. And it shows him from, he shows a balance from United masters select of $1.09. And the wallet, that's a wallet for the United Masters. I guess that's where you can set up all of your streams, people that paying you actual money from Apple, whatever. They all stream into this particular digital wallet and it breaks down something like this. Uh, He got an Apple payout on January the 10th of five United States pennies. Wow. That's not even a Dogecoin. Uh, Spotify paid him Oh no, was it? Yeah, Spotify paid him 16 cents. Oh my God, and his TikTok payout was zero. His Amazon payout was one United States penny. YouTube, he got bupkis. Bupkis. Man, I'm telling you, if you're a musician and you're listening to me and you are not engaging in value for value, 
If you're not, if you've never seen Wave Lake, W A V L A K E, not W A V E, W A V like wave file. Get it? Wave file. W A V L A K E. If you're not engaging with that, if you're not listening to what Adam Curry has to say about podcasting 2.0 and the value for value universe, you're missing out. You need to detach yourself from the legacy music industry as fast as humanly possible. You do not want to be connected to that ship when it goes down because it's going to go down. The writing was on the wall with Napster. And here we all are all these years later. And it's finally, finally coming home to roost. It will take years yet before that son of a bitch finally goes down below water and you can't see it at all. But you don't want to be chained to that thing. You just don't. Please figure out a way. Ask the people on Noster. Type in hashtag V4V, the number four, V4V on Twitter or Noster and say, how? And people will come out of the woodwork and help you try to figure this shit out. I will be one of them. Please do it. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Out of Coindesk, Helena Braun has this one. Is Grayscale Takeover bait amid Bitcoin ETF battle? Now, this one kind of came out of left field on me. I hadn't even really thought about this. I mean, although I probably should have. But given all the ETF stuff that's going on and the fact that we that everything just got approved... I wasn't thinking along these lines, but this is an interesting take from Helena Braun. Let's get into it. The battle to scoop up investors' money for newly approved Bitcoin ETFs is shaping up to be a fierce one among BlackRock, Fidelity, and other financial firms. If the newcomers want to take a giant leap forward, experts say they could consider buying the incumbent in Bitcoin investing, known as Grayscale. Buy the company, buy the whole thing, all of their assets, all of their customers, all of their customer lists, everything to just buy it. The crypto asset manager earlier this month got permission to convert its Grayscale Bitcoin trust into an ETF. At the same time, 10 other companies won the ability to create their own Bitcoin ETFs. Grayscale started with a huge lead because After a decade operating as a closed-end fund, the investment pool had accumulated almost $30 billion worth of Bitcoin. The newcomers started at zero. The gap has shrunk some as investors remove money from GBTC and find new funds uh, because they're throwing it into there. But at $22 billion, GBTC remains far ahead of the next two companies in the asset rankings, BlackRock and Fidelity, both at $1.4 billion. Anyone looking to catch up might want to take a look. Quote, it's certainly possible that Grayscale could get acquired, said Brian Evans, CEO and founder of BDE Ventures. Quote, they are sort of the standard now, and even my dad had heard of GBTC from a long time ago, so an acquisition could happen because they have some name recognition already. A representative grade scale could not be reached for comment, of course, but one of the strategies traditional financial players have used to grow their business is by buying out their competitors. The recent launch of 10 or 11 new spot Bitcoin ETFs marked an unprecedented event in the world of finance. Major players from crypto and TradFi competing for the same turf. Quote, a strategic acquisition of a firm such as Grayscale makes a ton of sense for the right traditional ETF issuer assuming the price is palatable, said Nate Garachi, president of the ETF store, an advisory firm. Quote, while only two weeks old, the spot Bitcoin ETF category is already wildly competitive and has clearly turned into a scale game given how low expense ratios are. A traditional ETF issuer could quickly boost assets under management gain business operating expertise, and also acquire some crypto street cred by targeting the right crypto fund native firm, end quote. CoinShares, a crypto asset manager, recently bought the ETF unit of Valkyrie Investments, which has a new Bitcoin ETF. 
Garachi predicts more transactions like this could happen sooner rather than later. However, for Grayscale, a timeline for potential acquisition might be harder to gauge, given some uncertainties surrounding the firm. Quote, someone acquiring Grayscale is theoretically possible, possibly even likely over a long enough time frame, particularly with the current issues surrounding their parent company, said Bloomberg intelligence analyst James Seifert. Grayscale is owned by DCG, its Genesis subsidiary, and former business partner Gemini Trust. They were all sued by the state of New York in October for allegedly defrauding investors for more than a billion dollars. And Grayscale's recently converted fund has also seen billions of redemptions from investors. More than $2 billion worth of GBTC has been sold since its conversion into an ETF. BDE Ventures' Evans said that DCG's legal troubles and the large amount of money being pulled out of GBTC could expedite a sale. Quote, it makes you wonder about the timing of how all this could play out. (laughs) I suspect that were an acquisition to occur, it would likely happen sooner rather than later because you want to acquire all that Bitcoin before prices go up more, end quote. So this isn't something that I had actually considered about Grayscale in particular. In fact, I kind of thought, or I would have been more along the lines of thinking that Grayscale would be in the position to acquire like one of the smaller brand, you know, brand new ETFs, the guys that aren't really, you know, pulling their weight, so to speak. The bottom, I'm talking about the bottom four, the bottom five of these 11 ETFs, which for some reason, Coindesk keeps saying there's 10. And I don't get that. There were 11, 11, there were 11. So maybe they're talking about Valkyrie being swiped up, but still there were 11 funds that were approved no matter who bought what. But could this be a, could this be a deal? Well, I wholeheartedly believe that Grayscale is an albatross around the neck of this entire industry. And I've, I've believed that for a long time, well before the FTX and Terra Luna debacle and all that, that crap happened. And when it became very evident that Barry Silbert was going to have to owe a billion dollars to a bunch of people that he's flat out defrauded, then it became more evident just how big of an albatross this thing really is. And I've said on several occasions that Grayscale is the last domino to fall. That's my opinion. It doesn't mean that I'm right. I'm just saying, in my opinion, Grayscale is the last one to fall. So after reading this, I'm starting to think that a sale to BlackRock, or Fidelity, for that matter, of Grayscale could be the bailout that Barry Silbert and the rest of his crew over at Grayscale and Digital Currency Group are waiting for. Because if that sale is approved, then it's very possible that a deal can be struck with the people that want their money back and that whoever buys Grayscale will take care of all that on the other end and Barry can go off to his island and float around it in his brand new yacht or whatever it is that Barry Silbert does. But Grayscale needs to go away. I've believed that for a long time. I believe that even more today, and I will probably believe that even more tomorrow. But I'm keeping my fingers crossed that Grayscale does in fact get sold to somebody else so that they we can just be done with it. And then we can worry about Trump who has reiterated his anti-CBDC stance. He credits Vivek Ramaswamy for policy guidance. This is Coindesk. Sam Reynolds is writing. The orange man, Donald Trump, has doubled down on his opposition to central bank digital currencies at a rally in Laconia, New Hampshire, Monday night. Quote, Vivek wanted this. I will never allow the creation of a central bank digital currency, Trump said, referring to Crypto-friendly candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, a critic of CBDCs, who recently suspended his campaign after a, well, a disappointing showing in Iowa. Trump has shared the same message at prior stops. Quote, this would be a dangerous threat to freedom, and I will stop it from coming to America, 
Such a currency would give a federal government absolute control over your money. They could take your money, and you wouldn't even know it was gone. Recently, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, another CBDC critic, uh, also suspended his campaign and endorsed Trump. Quote, it's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. <laughs> not not a resounding uh, endorsement of Donald Trump by by DeSantis, but whatever. With DeSantis and Ramaswamy out of the way, crypto might now take a back seat. Coindesk Jesse Hamilton recently wrote, "Digital assets have not been a central issue in the 2024 presidential race, but have kept reappearing in the spotlight as a peripheral topic by Republican candidates." But With recent candidate dropouts and Nikki Haley's lack of focus on crypto, its prominence in discussions may further diminish. Regardless, Coindesk reported last year that for DeSantis' office in Florida as governor, not the Republican primary candidate, CBDCs were one of the hottest topics suggesting that voters might want to hear more. Well, you think what you want about, you know, about Donald Trump. I personally don't believe a word out of any of these people's mouths. That's just the only way that I can operate and keep my sanity about me is to just assume that no matter blue or red, purple, up, down, left, right, I don't care. I just presume if they're speaking, they're lying to me. So I presume that Donald Trump wants a CBDC, that he's just saying that he doesn't want and he won't allow it to get votes And if he gets to be president again, he's just going to forget all about it, right? CBDCs are bad, don't get me wrong, and we shouldn't have them. But I don't believe them. I just don't. However, it's good that it's still actually being talked about. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a question I could put out there. For as much hatred as this guy gets... Will you vote for Donald Trump if you believe what he says about CBDCs and that that is your only issue? Would you actually vote for Donald Trump just because he's saying that he will not allow CBDCs? Now think about that. Let's say let's say he gets in. Let's say he's not lying about CBDCs and he rejects at every turn any institution in the United States' ability to study, enact, refine, and implement an actual central bank digital currency. He doesn't have as much control over the Fed as people like to believe because the Fed is a private institution. Its board of governors are, you know, kind of appointed, but uh, we don't really know all that much about the Fed. We're not allowed to look. They've never been audited. They're probably never going to be audited. So we really don't know exactly what they can and cannot do no matter what the President of the United States wants. But, be that as it may, what about the rest of the world? What happens if the United States stands alone as the only country without a CBDC? Even though that we know that CBDCs are wrong for humanity, and that they will do nothing but enslave people in in their monetary freedom. We know that. I'm not disputing that, because that's an actual fact on the ground. That's exactly what will happen. But what happens to a world's economy, or just the United States economy, if all the other countries get a CBDC, and they start pulling the kind of crap that we expect anybody with a CBDC to pull? What does that economy actually look like? Does that actually put the United States in a larger position to have to take in more immigration because people will flee those countries with CBDCs? You'll see an influx of Europeans the likes you've never seen. You'll see, you'll see an influx of Canadians. Well, some of them anyway. Some of them are just, they just love having a boot on their face, but so, so do some Europeans. But I get the feeling that that all against one, even if the CBDC is as bad as we say it is, and it is, 
I wonder what that world looks like. I wonder if it's good or bad. And we'll never know until we figure out what the hell is going to happen worldwide with CBDCs. I suspect the following. Half the countries in the world will install a CBDC and they will become the most authoritarian and totalitarian societies that the planet Earth has ever seen in its, you know, billion some odd year history. And that you will see major, like you think you're seeing immigration shifting right now. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. You wait till that shit happens. Unless we all get them, in which case humanity will have to fight against the elites. There's no other way out. And it's not we will have to. We just will. It will just happen. The CBDCs are scary as shit. And I don't want to see them. So... You know, throw throw me a tweet or, you know, give me a note on Noster. You can DM me on either one of those platforms. Tell me what, tell me if you'd actually vote for Trump, if you actually believe what he says he's going to do about CBDCs. That'd be an interesting thing to look at. Now, speaking of CBDCs, we have the BIS. And see, this is feeding into this whole thing that the Bank of International Settlements has announced because it's announced its CBDC and tokenization projects for 2024. David Atlee, Cointelegraph, the BIS Innovation Hub will proceed with the second phase of its central bank digital currency privacy testing and launch a blockchain-based tokenization project in 2024. Today, January the 23rd, the BIS announced its work program for the year. It features six new projects exploring the issues of cybersecurity, fighting financial crime, CBDCs, and God forbid, green finance. In the announcement, Cecilia Skingsley, head of the BIS Innovation Hub, stated that another critical area is tokenization, where the new project, Promisa, will be followed by more initiatives. Promisa, we promise. It's actually spelt that way. It's spelt Promise, drop the E, add another S and an A. Promisa. We promise. We promise. It's going to be fine. We promise. Whatever. Project Promisa, which is in collaboration between the BIS, the Swiss National Bank, and the World Bank, you guessed it, aims to build a proof of concept on a platform for digital tokenized promissory notes. Promissory notes are the traditional debt or financial instrument legally projecting the obligation of one party to pay a determinate amount of money to another party at a certain time. According to the BIS, most promissory notes which play a prominent role in the financial system are still paper-based. The BIS hopes to conclude the POC by early 2025. Meanwhile, Project Aram, which is conducted jointly by the BIS and the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, Jesus, will enter a new phase of researching the privacy of retail payments using CBDCs. Four other new projects from the BIS named Project Leap, Project Symbiosis, Project Hertha, and Project NGFS Data Directory 2.0 don't cross over directly with the digital asset industry. The bank will also continue its work on Project Mandala, which seeks to automatize the compliance procedure for cross-border payments. Project Pixtrail, which monitors the balance sheets of asset-backed stablecoins in Project Cambridge with experiments in multi-CBDC platform for cross-border payments. The BIS remained one of the leading global advocates for CBDCs and a fiery critic of stablecoins. In November of 2023, Augustin Karstens, Burger Meister Meisterburger, general manager of the BIS, urged central banks worldwide to lead digital innovation and called CBDCs the central element of this leadership. So the BIS back in the news promoting CBDCs. Orange man in the United States saying he won't allow them. These And the BIS, one of their projects is in conjunction with Hong Kong. Hong Kong doesn't exist anymore. That got taken over by who? China. So the BIS is working directly with China, not Hong Kong, with China. One of the most authoritarian, totalitarian governments that this planet has ever seen. 
Not that anybody else is, is, you know, all that great at freedom, but man, you want to talk about having their shit sewn up. China is right on top and they don't need to have anything to do with the Western world in a partnership with how to enslave the financial freedom of the great guts and feathers of humanity. But maybe, just maybe, projects like Bolt Card will help us out. This one from NoBSBitcoin.com. Bolt Card Tools Terminal App 1.0.2 has been released. Bolt Card Terminal Tools App lets you pay any Lightning invoice with your Bolt Card. It's available on both Android and iOS. Quote, we just released another open source app for the Bolt Card community announced at Swiss Bitcoin Pay. Quote, have you ever tried to pay via Lightning with your Bolt Card, but the merchant's point of sale doesn't support it? With this simple app, you can scan his invoice with your phone, tap your Bolt Card on your phone to pay him directly in peer-to-peer from your node to his node. Quote, you can also pay on-chain invoices with your Bolt card seamlessly using Swiss Bitcoin Pay's integrated swap service. You can learn more at their GitHub, and that's a link. Features, it's available for Android and iOS. You can pay Lightning invoices on any device with your Bolt card. It works with any Bolt card. It's truly P2P because you pay directly from your Bolt card's node to the merchant's node. There's no tracker or data sent to external servers. It's fully open sourced under the MIT license. Let's go back to this one. Have you ever tried to pay a lightning invoice with your bolt card, but the merchant's point of sale doesn't support that type of invoice? With this simple app, you can scan whatever his invoice is with your phone and then tap your bolt card on your phone to pay him directly in a peer-to-peer from your node to his node fashion. That is astounding because basically what it does is it says, okay, so you don't really support all these types of invoices, uh, but we can write an app that you can sovereignly hold on your phone that converts whatever it is that you see and can take a picture of with your phone and then interact with your phone after it's converted it to a way that you can actually pay, but still respect the peer-to-peer node-to-node infrastructure. That's amazing. And that shit is going to be all over South America and Africa. I guarantee it. Just saying. And by the way, just to end it off, The mother of all data breaches has occurred and it has revealed 26 billion records. This is out of cyber news. I'm not going to read very much of it because all you really need to know is in the first few paragraphs. There's data leaks and then there's this. A supermassive mother of all breaches or MOAB for short and includes records from thousands of meticulously compiled and re-indexed leaks breaches, and privately sold databases. The full and searchable list is included at the end of this article. That's all you need to know. This is a leak of all of the other leaks that have happened. This is a leak of leaks. It's a single 12 terabyte information storehouse of all the leaks, all in one place, easily indexable, easily searchable. Before, you would have had to cross-index with, you'd have to have a copy of all the other leaks and keep them in a repository, in a database somewhere. And then you'd have to get the databases to talk to each other because they have different formats. Well, not anymore. No, not anymore. Now, it's all together in one simple format that you can use to cheat anybody out of their money. This is great. And the SEC can't even guard their own freaking phone number. What planet do we live on? Thank God for Bitcoin. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. 
Lance is an uncommon name nowadays, but in medieval times, people were called Lance a lot. Yeah. Data breaches. They're all over the place, and we have a slew of people that can't even keep control of their own phone number. We've got a situation where Grayscale might be bought out, and it would be good for us if it did. The ETF stuff is not going away. Right, that is the that is the the major things that are going on in Bitcoin right now. I wish it was. I wish for the olden days, back in you know the day when we didn't have to worry about all this, and we were talking about like you know shit Roger Ver was going to say. But now, sadly, we've entered into the mainstream with the ETF. So that's what we've got to look forward to, honestly, for kind of a while. And you might say, I don't want to know about it. You're gonna you you're gonna want to know about it. You're not because you're interested in it, not because you're going to buy it, but because it's going to affect you at one point or another. All this shit's going to affect all of us. And we're going to have to figure out a way to learn to, to live through it. And the way that I'm going to live through it is by doing the following. I'm going to buy Bitcoin. I'm going to hold that Bitcoin and I'm not going to sell that Bitcoin. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.